You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Mark Bedard. Today, I'm super excited, and I'm going to butcher it. You know I am, Mark, but here it is to talk with Martin Gontovnikas. That's really bad, but he goes by Gonto on the rise of the CTMO, Chief Technology Marketing Officer. We're going to be talking specifically about applying product techniques to marketing to drive results. Gonto is a software engineer at heart. He moved to the dark side and is now an SVP of marketing and growth at Auth0. With his career transition, he found a way to combine his two passions by applying his engineering thinking model to marketing. Gonto, you know we've talked about it, man. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Welcome aboard, man. I'm here. Thank you, Mark, for inviting. And you actually did a pretty good job with my last name. I've heard so many different variations. For me, it's Gontopnikas, but it's probably a wrong accent because it's originally from Lithuania and I'm using my Spanish accent. The Span- the Lithuanian core, but the Spanish flair on it, that's, that is impossible for a uh, guy out of Boston, I'll tell you that much. I can, I can always say that I stayed with my sexy Latin accent. There it is. Absolutely, man. I mean, you're going by Gonto, and that's what, that's what I'm calling you. Exactly. Easy enough. So talk to me, man. This is an incredibly cool topic. Everyone's talking about marketing becoming more technical. You've got a very cool spin on it that I'm very interested to dive into. What, what do, you know, help the audience understand what we're really even going to be talking about from a high level to start yeah, so if you think about marketing, first of all, I know I know I know nothing about marketing. I'm an engineer and I've started doing marketing, so that's that's to start with. But if you think about marketing, um, in the past, marketing was very close to publicity and branding, and those were the two main things. So I always imagine somebody like in Mad Men with a whiskey and a cigar saying, "This is the message that we need to use for marketing, and this is why everybody's gonna believe us." And then when you hear that. It doesn't actually make sense. So I think that now we have so much data that we can stop listening to opinions and start using data to make decisions. That data is coming from technology. So to me, it's all about how can we leverage data from human beings, data from technology, to then rapidly experiment to drive the best outcome instead of just assuming that a given message or a given brand is going to work. I love it. I really do appreciate, though, the Mad Men with the Latin accent. I, I like that. I can picture you <laughs> sipping whiskey right now or something, smoking a cigar. I don't know what's going on. It's great. I, I'm always ready for a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, fine. So we're not doing the Mad Men scenario anymore. We're going to be focusing on the data. Got it. Exactly. So then what i guess obviously we're moving more toward the data scenario but what we're really talking about here is looking at applying product techniques specifically to marketing to drive results so 
data is the foundation, but what specifically about the product techniques are we talking about? Exactly. I, I'm a big fan of somebody who's called Marty Kagan. Um, I'm probably butchering his last name now. He used to be the VP of product at eBay, and he ran products at multiple companies. He wrote a book that's called Inspired. Inspired is by far my favorite book on product and product management. And in there, he talks about product separating into two phases. One is discovery, and the other one is delivery. What he talks about a lot is this idea that the most expensive thing that a team or a company can do is building. Once you build something, you're spending time from your engineers or your marketers or your product managers. And then if it doesn't work, you have to do it again and again. And it's so much time that that's what drives failure in companies. So what he talks about is this idea of starting with discovery. It's about how can we actually start with interviews to better understand the problem? How can we better understand the feasibility, both technically as well as with the functionality of doing this? How can we start with low fidelity mockups? How can we start with experiments? How can we start with interviews? And then once we are really, really sure about what we need to build and what we want to do, that's when we start building. But even when we are building, we also need to continue experimenting and we might go back to discovery. So this framework, um, I really liked it and it stayed on my mind. And I've been thinking about how can we actually implement that into marketing as well, where we spend a lot more time doing discovery and doing testing before actually committing to a message or committing to building something that then doesn't work. It's the old uh, measure twice, cut once scenario. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not like, you know, nothing, nothing in this world is necessarily new, right? So I, I love that, though. And you can't agree with that more. Uh, I got to write down that book that's inspired. The, so totally makes sense. And obviously, there's a play here back to the data as well, right, where you're effectively applying those processes or, or looking at those processes and, and falling back to the data to actually drive those decisions. So exactly. what, okay. So talk to me, I guess, about, about the framework then, because I haven't read the book and I, I don't really understand it. So the framework is a lot about first doing, as I was saying, discovery. Let me explain you with an example. So at Auxilio, we focus on building authentication authorization for people. Those people that will implement authentication authentication into their applications are usually developers. So for us, what we wanted to do is drive demand with developers. So I remember that the first thing that we did was, hey, let's, let's actually write some articles on single sign-on. And we actually spent a lot of time writing articles about single sign-on, refresh tokens, and some concepts that were core to identity and authentication. But they had so little success. They didn't work at all. So then we decided to step back. And because I knew nothing about marketing and I was just an engineer, I was like, let's actually talk to people to see what's going on. And that's where the discovery phase starts. So we started actually doing some qualitative interviews to developers where we told them, I'm not going to tell you anything about the product. I'm not going to tell you anything nor sell you out zero. I'm just going to ask you about how you learn, and what are your habits? So the question for us was, when, what are you interested about learning in authentication? What are you interested in learning in authorization? How do you learn those? Do you Google? Do you go to a conference? What do you do? What apps do you use during the day in the computer? 
What apps do you use in mobile? When do you use them? And that's the part that is the qualitative where we start doing some discovery first. So what we learned there is, first of all, developers didn't know what single sign-on was. Second, second, it was developers thought that authentication was boring as shit and they didn't want to learn authentication at all. And third, they were only looking for authentication when they were asked to build it or they needed to build it into their product and they got stuck. So that meant that they were actually looking in Google on, I don't know, login controller error React or AngularJS. And they were looking for specific technologies. So that was one of the first discoveries that we had where they actually had no interest in authentication and identity. They just wanted to solve a problem and go to do more fun things. Other things we discovered, for example, is that they used Twitter a lot to learn from others. So that was interesting for us when we started thinking then about delivery as well. And then they were telling us um, that they learned by reading JavaScript Weekly, which is a newsletter. They went to Reddit. They went to conferences and they followed, as I said, people on Twitter that were interesting. So this was sort of our discovery phase um, that we started with. And I'm talking a lot, but I still have the other half on delivery. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, that's awesome, right? Like, I mean... You're you're asking them for the blueprint for how they want you to communicate with them, essentially, right? Exactly. You're, yeah, that's great. And and you know, instead of sending, I I can assume, right? It sounds like the majority of it is uh, either through social means, right? Meaning Twitter, they're following someone, or or they're problem solving, right? They're looking for answers on on Reddit or whatever it happens to be when they're actually implementing it, Stack Overflow, or whatever, right? Um, but they're not responding to email campaigns. They're not looking at, right? Like there's certain mediums and certain things that from that discovery, you guys would just stay away from. Exactly. And it's about tapping into people's habits. So once we understood that, we were like, okay, now it's time for delivery. So let's set up an experiment. So again, because I know nothing about marketing, we set this up as an experiment where we had a goal, KPIs, a hypothesis, and some time frame. So then if it didn't work, we could try something else. I know that based on a study from Harvard, one in every 10 ideas is great, the other nine suck. So probably our idea was going to suck. So from that, we said, okay, let's try to create content then to unblock the developer if they are using React, for example. And then when they Google us, they will find us and then they'll find a blog post that explains how to use out zero. So we did the experiment, we wrote three blog posts, we waited one month, and then it was a complete failure. So um, what was interesting about that is that we realized that it made, that we, we didn't know like what the fuck is going on. So when we went into it, and when we looked at the data, we saw that most people that were coming to the blog were already users of out zero. And what that meant to us is, okay, people are finding this, but they're already users of Outzero, so this is a bad idea. So then we went back to the, this, to the discovery phase, where we said, what else can we do? And by talking to some more developers, we realized that it was around writing content that helped them unblock them, but without using Outzero. And then we would have something that we call it aside, or a small part um, after that, that would just say something like, hey, if you don't wanna do this yourself, or if you wanna add more features, you can just use Outzero. And that's where 
in the delivery phase, it's important to set experimentation, uh, to do it with experiments, to set KPIs, and then when it doesn't work, go back to discovery, do more interviews, and continue trying. And for us, that continuous experimentation is what then drove us to start getting more and more signups to the product through the blogs that we kept on improving and improving and, and, and improving. It, it's, it's absolutely a methodical, like engineering structured process to it, right? I mean, you're, you're literally calling it a hypothesis and you're going out, you're, you're doing uh, the test on it to prove or disprove your hypothesis and then iterative improvement until you've got the right kind of results that you guys are looking for. It's, I don't want to say it's like, uh, it's not earth shattering, right? But so few people do it. Gato, like what? I don't understand, right? Like if it's that simple and that straightforward, I mean, obviously that makes sense, right? Yeah. Why aren't, why aren't more people doing it? And to me, it's this idea, it's two things. One is I think a lot of people come with their manual or their book from what worked before. And they assume that what worked before in another company is going to work again in this company. Or even more than that, what worked for a person that I was targeting before is going to work for a person that I target after. And that doesn't work because people evolve, companies evolve. And that's, I think, a mistake that we make all the time. And the other one is we're scared of failure. And experimentation is all about embracing failure because failure is what's going to drive us to success. Because if we learn from those failures, then maybe one in six ideas is right instead of one in 10. So we are so scared of failure that we are scared of trying a method and a model that actually follows that. And then probably it's because a lot of marketers are not engineers. <laughs> it's probably that too. It's so interesting. You know, you're talking about the, the book from before. You know, they've got a, a pre-made book that they've already seen success with and they're effectively, you know, they feel that their job at the new organization or the one they're at today is to rinse and repeat the book that they have. I, I was talking to uh, Tamaya Sabaya over, he was an SVP over at Cisco pretty recently. We've got a, a podcast coming out um, with him, and, and he was actually talking about the same thing with respect to hiring. And he says, you know, don't hire the person that already is walking into the job with a full understanding of how to accomplish it, because they're never going to to reinvent a, a new way to do it. They're never going to problem solve when you do encounter some some way that you need crafted that that falls outside of that book that they already know. So it's the exact same point that you're making. Exactly, and I think that. Actually, to that point, to me, it's always about having a combination of people who has experience and have done it before, and then people who have not done it before, because they can have new, creative, or different ways to do things, and having the mix of the two together that will, that will drive the best outcome. A lot of viewers are going to ask, Gonto, they're, they're going to say, you know, the, the embracing failure piece, and I know we, we might be getting a little off track in terms of it, but I, I really want to get your take on it. Because there's a lot of folks at the, I don't know, you know, managerial director level or even VPs that are, you know, tasked with put, putting together a plan and, um, and you know, they've got KPIs that they need to hit. Uh, how do they go about navigating and, and getting the organization bought into the concept that, hey, some of this might fail? Right. But we're going to learn from it. And we're going to, to improve from it. H how do you get? the organization to to get bought into the fact that you, you know people and organizations must embrace failure to be able to grow 
I think it's actually very hard. I think that um, if it's a startup, you're start just starting, it's easier. Like I feel that for me, when I joined, I had a good confidence with the CEO, the founders, and then I said like, look, I don't know, we're going to try it out and we're going to see what happens. I worked as consultant with bigger companies and for them it's different. What I always say is start with something small. Start with a team of two or three and start with a KPI that maybe doesn't have executability and work on improving that. And then once you have proof that you've used the method and it actually works faster and better than others, then you can start using that proof to start moving on to other metrics that maybe are um, higher up or maybe that XX follow. And that's, I think, the way that you can start to get people to understand that it makes sense. That's one. The other one, I always use the examples from multiple places, like medicine uses this a lot, or math or physics. And even though they take time, sometimes they always get to a better result. And that's where this is a bit different, which is that you need to fail fast. That's the other thing you need to show, that all of your experiments are scrappy. It's an MVP. It's the 80%. It's not fully done so that you can actually try multiple things and fail fast to get to that outcome or, that, or, or to that success um, earlier on. I love that. What, what is, and this might be too in the weeds too, what is failing fast in your mind? Like what, what kind of timeframes or what kind of initiatives do you, like what rate are you guys moving at? So for us, for example, failing fast is right now, we're currently doing something like um, between three and five new tests every week. Every test takes between two and five weeks to solve based on getting statistical significance from the results to say that one works better than the other, for example, for an A-B test. So because they take like, let's say four weeks, that means that on average, we always have between 15 and 20 tests that are running on the website. So that's the other part that to me is interesting is you don't need to do only one experiment at a time. You can do multiple of them. And then eventually when they finish up, you have this flywheel of experiments that you're continually learning and trying new things. I love that. I can see how it's all tied back to the engineer, man. It's all, this is, uh, it's very methodical and, and it goes back to what, what you're talking about. So I, I don't want to get off track, please. Like you, you, I think you were talking about the discovery phase and the delivery phase, the differences between the two. Yeah. And something that to me is interesting about this is that on, it's, it's about working with the two of them together. And even us, like we make the, we make the same mistake of, trying to use the same book of what we tried about. So for example, we started to see that for developers, it started working. So then we wanted to target product managers. And we said, let's do the same thing. Let's write content for the product manager to help them unblock if they have a problem with authentication. It was such a failure. It was like literally a disaster. And then we went back to discovery and we started to do interviews. And what we learned is that the product managers from the target companies we were looking for did not read those type of blog posts. They learned about authentication identity if they helped with their metrics. And they learned through Product Tank, which was a meetup that a lot of product managers go, mind the product, which was a specific conference, and then reading specific articles from specific people like Marty Kagan, for example. So based off of that, we changed our entire strategy for this new persona to actually sponsor and speak in these events or creating articles, sponsored articles, with these um, influencers that were writing in their blog. So what's interesting about it is that if you do it this way, you'll actually realize sooner that things don't work the same for all and that you need to try something that is different. 
so like interesting to think of every single person or every single kind of ICP or buyer persona that an organization goes after. Absolutely. It's, it's again, when I say it back, it's, it's common sense, right? Every single buyer persona is going to want to be educated and going to want to go through a customer journey that's different than the next guy, right? Uh, an engineer is certainly not going to, to want the same experience as a product guy, most likely, right? Uh, but to tailor each medium back to, and you're effectively just selling to that person in the most effective means possible through great discovery with that, that content, yeah? Exactly. I always say it's about two things. To me, it's about tapping into people's habits. They already have habits, so you need to tap into those instead of asking them to do something new. That, I think, is the most important part of this. And the other one is adding value. You need to somehow add value to the other person. It could be education or it could be something else. And if you can mix those two together in a way that works for that person and that role, then it's going to work. But I also think that that's um, common sense as well. I think a lot of it is, but it, it's still something that we don't do, right? It's like, what you know, I always think after hearing and talking, it seems so crystal clear always doing podcasts with folks like yourself, Kanto, because it's like, well, yeah, that, that's, of course we should do it that way. But I feel like when you get down to the brass tacks, it's a little more difficult than, uh, than maybe we're, we make it out to be on the podcast. Of course, we're always oversimplifying. And for me, being honest, I chose this method because I literally was scared to death and had no fucking idea what to do. It's like, hey, you're going to help with marketing, and I didn't know what to do. So it's like, okay, if we use this framework, we might get to a solution. <laughs> Go back to the engineering roots. <laughs> That's excellent. So I think I get it. Let, let me ask you this, because this is a, a question that I've had. What, why is this all, you know, we're talking about the rise of the CTMO in particular, right? Yep. And again, I love how you put it, you know, the chief technology marketing officer, uh, it's not the CMO anymore. It's not the old bad men uh, drinking whiskey guy talking about branding all the time. Everything's data driven. Everything's process oriented. Why is that possible now, but it wasn't possible before? Why are we talking about it now? I think it's a couple of things. One is we now have data about everything. Like we know about what people go to the website, what do they do, when do they do it, how do they do it, where do they look and stuff like that. To give you an example, before your message was in a billboard and you had no idea if it was going to work. Now there are two things that you can do. First, you can try a message on the website. So you can do an A-B test where you show half the people one message, the other half another. And you try which one converts the most or which one does more of that. Another example is, we were looking to buy um, billboards in the airport. And it's actually pretty creepy because people will walk through, first of all, they have through beacons and the phone, they know what people is going through certain billboards. So if I want to focus specific personas, they can tell me which part of the airport is best. And then I can retarget them online with ads if I see that they have seen my billboard in person. We've never had the amount of data even if people are physical that we had before. And that's where we can do this now. I do think that this is going to change a bit throughout time because privacy, I'm even worried about privacy as well. So I think that <laughs> GDPR, CCPA, and a lot of these privacy compliances are also in the future going to change again how we think about 
data. What data can we use and how do we do marketing? I think that's one trend that you see all the time now in marketing is this idea of intense data. Intense data means I'm buying data to see if people are looking to do something. For example, G2 is the review site. They sell intense data. So I know what person has gone into G2 looking for authentication and maybe looking at a competitor site. And then I can target them because that product is free. And intense data is so big now that any company in the world um, can use it. And I think that that's the biggest differentiator that now allows us to follow this model. It's so huge. The, the amount of data and... I think the ability to become data driven as well, you know, we talk about the data that's at our fingertips, but it's also the means at which we can consume it, right? The, the analytics that we have, uh, the visualization that we have today, um, and, and certainly the applications, right? I mean, there's just a myriad of different applications that can push all of this data together so that we can have one holistic picture about what's going on. Couldn't agree more with you, though, Conta. I mean, that's we're in a data era, right? I mean, it's it's evolving to the point where, like you said, you got beacons on a you know physical location, and you're actually tracking you know buyers and who might have actually had an impression on on a on a physical billboard or a physical uh, property. That that is incredible. You know, if you told that to the the madman guy, his mind would be blown. Yeah, even even my mom's mind is blown by that, and she feels that very creepy. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Uh, it's huge. Talk to me a little bit more about in, intent data or where where you see that going in the future. So intent data to me is fascinating because as usual, if the product is free, you are the product. And now that you are the product, it's mostly about intent. There's multiple review sites that will give you information. There's also tools, for example, that will pop up and tell you if somebody that was from a target persona that bought from you, they moved to another company so that you can target them and tell, hey, I know you bought us in this previous company. What about now? So there's so much intent data that I think that that's the next movement of marketing. Before, it was about getting the most amount of leads and then information from those as you could so that then when you targeted them, you had to ask them questions and learn from them. Now with intent data, as soon as you get a lead, you know so much about that person, even though they haven't been to your site before, because you have data from other sites and other places that they have seen. And I think that that's where in the future we'll get more and more intent data. We'll get we know more and more about people even before they even came came to our website, thanks to all of these services that then every company is using. And to me that data is going to be available to everybody. So everybody will be able to access that data if they can pay it. So the difference is going to be about how you implement it. It's what are the order of things? When do you do them? And I actually think that we have something that we call the creepy factor, which is like there's a point where it's it's creepy, but not as much. And then there's a point where it's so creepy that it doesn't work anymore. So it's also <laughs> working on what is the correct level of the creepy factor um, that can work with that intent data as well. You think that'll be a new KPI people are tracking, creepy factor? They'll try to try to understand what, what scale they're on. Oh, no, it's an 89 creepy factor. Don't engage with that lead. They're, they're way creeped out. Uh, that's good. 
<laughs> I like it, man. I really like it. Well, let me ask you, because this always comes up, and, and certainly I'm sure you guys are talking about this all the time, with, with GDPR and CCPA and all of the regulation um, you know, happening around data and personal data, do, do you see that affecting the B2B side of the house? Like if, if I was to, you know, gun to head scenario, I mean, where, where do you fall with respect to privacy? Where do you think it's going to cover and where do you think it's going to stop? So as, 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 a, as a human being, I'm, I'm also worried about my privacy, being honest. <laughs> and I like that there's GDPR, CCPA, and similar. What I think it makes a difference is it's all about so two things. One is about consent. Um, so people need to consent now to be emailed, to be sent information, etc. And the other one is the right to amend, see, or delete the data. Right now, as how it works, the idea is consent, the hardest part for marketing is to show people that you add value. If you show people that you're adding value, they're going to be consenting to receiving your notification. I think that the problem is that most marketing is crap and not useful. So because of that, um, it might be hurting them. But I think that to get them to consent, for example, something that we do is in the checkbox, we show them pieces of content that we send them on the email. So they can actually verify that it's useful for them and check it if that's the case. And then on the data, so there's no problem collecting or having data from others. It's more about how that PII flows. So you need to make sure that the, that the personal identifiable information from people doesn't um, flow or breach, which every company should do. So I'm a big fan of, of doing that. And then the intent data that you collect, the only thing that happens is that you need to give people the ability to view that and delete it or edit it if they want. And I also think that's fair. Having said that, most people will not do that. We've had very few requests from people to edit, delete, or amend um, their data. And I don't know if that's going to increase in the future. If it does, that might be the thing that changes a bit of how we use data on marketing. I love it. I love the take. So I don't want to. I don't want to fast forward through any of this. I mean, we've talked a little bit about why this matters now. Why we're we're seeing the rise of the CTM. CTMO. We've talked a little bit about uh, the different product techniques and actually applying those, you know, discovery as well as delivery. Is there anything or any any piece that we should hit on that we haven't or anything we should focus on a little bit more? Um, I don't think that there's anything in particular. The main thing I would say is at least uh, like takeaways that I would like for people to get out of the conversation is this idea that Having the book from my previous experiences to this one, it's not going to work. So you should experiment and try more things. The other one is making sure that we look at data instead of opinions if you actually have the data. So I, I love this, this phrase, which is, if, let's have, if you, we have data, let's look at data. But if we have opinions, then let's, let's use mine because I prefer my opinion. So that's, that's a phrase that I personally really like. And it's about this focus on data for everybody. And then the third one is, this focus on failure. There's no way that you can have experimentation and drive success if people are afraid to, uh, to fail or people are afraid to show that something didn't work or if people are afraid to show their learnings. Because if they are afraid, that means they will hide them. If they hide them, you will never learn from them and you will never become better. So to me, and this is something that can break so easily because if somebody comes to me and they say, hey, I try this experiment and it's decreasing. And I'm like, crap, like who had this idea? 
That's it. That kills experimentation. So it's more about asking people, what have you learned from it? And they, if they haven't learned anything, then you can give them shit because they should have learned something. But if they learned something, <laughs> then it should be okay. I love it. Those are so critical. Gato, I mean, you know, being data driven, you know, not embracing failure, don't be afraid of it. And then obviously, you know, don't necessarily use the book that that's worked in the past. It might not be the exact exact same circumstances or scenario. You know, don't be afraid to, to go out and figure it out and test um, little engineering, engineering mindset there, you know, for a lot of the marketers out there. But I think it's a it's a breath of fresh air for a lot of folks. I think it's uh, the, the embracing failure piece is a, a real big one and very challenging one to do. But you're exactly right. I mean, we, we, we're all in it for the same reasons, right? We all want it to be successful. Uh, just because something failed doesn't mean that person <laughs> is a failure, right? It just means that that thing failed. Exactly, exactly. And, and again, like most of our ideas are crap, so we should accept that. I love the 10% too, you know? Hey, 10%, that's, that's about your success rate. So keep, keep going until you get those 10 percenters. We, we always ask, Anta, we always ask folks to recommend or suggest a couple people that we should bring on the show. I hope you had a good time. And uh, I mean, is, is there anyone that you would suggest to uh, come on the show with us? Um, one person that I really value their opinion um, more on the, on, on the branding side and more on the enterprise side is Alan Wax. I think that he could be a great person to uh, join the show. Where is he from? He's from the U.S. as well. It's probably my shitty accent that doesn't, doesn't sound like No, no. I was saying where? What company? Oh, sorry. He's consulting now. He was the VP marketing at Visabu. And then he also worked um, as VP marketing in other companies as well. I can send you his profile. Excellent. Awesome. Anyone else? Or should we just go with Alan? Um, I'll think about it and send you an email. That's <laughs> all good. I mean, we always ask, too, where, where can... Where can folks get connected with you if they want to talk to you, Gonto? Does LinkedIn work, Twitter? What's best? Yeah, LinkedIn works. Um, never use email. I don't use email. I suck at email. So you can uh, go to Twitter. Twitter is my favorite social media. I'm mgonto on Twitter. And if not, you can go to my website, which is gon.to, so gonto, um, and you can send me a message there. Awesome, man. Uh, again, can't thank you enough for joining the podcast. Really had a great time learning about this uh, from you. Thanks, Gonto. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for inviting. This has been fun. All right. Talk soon. Cheers. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.